Welcome to Through the Bible. Today our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us through what he calls one of the most important theological passages of the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for our study in Philippians 2, where we'll put our magnifying glass on the person of Jesus and ask basic questions like, Who is he? How do we follow him? And what does it mean to be like him? So while you grab your Bible and get comfortable, let's hear a couple of letters from our fellow listeners. First from Brooklyn in Tulare, California. I'm 18 years old, and the first time I learned about you was when my mom found some of Dr. McGee's commentary books at a local thrift store. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior at a young age. But until I read Dr. McGee's books, I didn't realize how shallow my relationship with the Lord was. Now I'm closer than ever, and I'm always learning new things about God's love. I have your app, receive your newsletter in the mail, and my whole family reads Dr. McGee's commentaries as well. I get so much joy when we discuss God's Word together. I cannot thank you enough for what you've done for my family and me. Thanks for your letter, Brooklyn. It's great to hear from you, and I'll be sure to save you and your entire family a seat on the Bible bus. And here's a note. This is from Carol in Greensboro, Georgia. Thank you for your helping hand in the storms of life. Your program and the World Prayer Team are salt and light in the world. I'm excited to join in prayer with the Beloved every morning. I'm starting my second trip on the Bible bus and now realize I will never stop learning about God's amazing love. Well, thanks, Carol. Thanks for your faithful prayers, too. It's a joy to travel with you on the Bible bus each day. Laura in Washington State recently shared this. I wanted to send you a quick letter and thank you for your messages. I started a new job. The job looked great, but the commute was grueling. I decided that I would find some podcasts to listen to while driving, hoping that would make the commute a little more manageable. That's how I jumped aboard the Bible bus. The first year, I listened to probably four messages every day. Now, I work from home a couple of days a week, but I keep up with the study. I've been really blessed by this ministry. I grew up in the church and have known the Lord my whole life. I even thought I knew the Bible. But the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know much of it at all. Dr. McGee's teachings always give me something to meditate on as I go about my day. I feel that even though we'll never meet in this life, I've gained a friend in heaven. Thanks for your note, Laura, and I'm with you. The more I learn in God's Word, the more I realize that there's so much more that I don't know. Our last letter comes from Beverly in Dayton, Ohio. I'm 74 years old and a longtime listener. Not long ago, Steve read a wonderful letter from Jason, a recovering drug and alcohol abuser who received Christ and is now growing by listening to Through the Bible, attending church and recovery programs, and reading your ebook, Briefing the Bible. I live in the inner city and observe many such lost souls walking and sleeping on the streets near me. I typed a copy of Jason's testimony and have ordered my free copy of Briefing the Bible to hand out. I'm praying, and as God leads, I plan to order and distribute more copies of Briefing the Bible to enclose with Jason's powerful testimony of the Lord's transforming grace. Thank you for carrying on this ministry. Well, thanks, Beverly. Thanks. It's a terrific idea, by the way, and may God bless you in your ministry. And what's your story? What are you learning from our study in Philippians? How are you sharing it with others? Well, you know we'd love to hear your story. You can email it to BibleBus at ttb.org. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. You can write to us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. If you listen in Canada, write to Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C 6B1. And to order your copy of Briefing the Bible that was mentioned earlier, just visit ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the faithful people who are standing for you around the world. 
Through the prayers of your people, Lord, we ask that you'll strengthen those who hear your word today, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're off to Philippians 2 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we've come to a new chapter here in Philippians, the second chapter. We saw in chapter 1 that we have the philosophy of Christian living. That was summed up in one word, or one verse, I should say, for me to live, Christ, to die, gain. And Christ was the very center of this man's life. And that was Paul, of course. Now we're going to see that he gives here in chapter 2 the pattern for Christian living. Now the pattern for Christian living is the mind of Christ, as we shall see. Now that's not by imitation. I hear so much today about following Jesus. I sometimes would like to ask some folk, especially when their lives are such as they are, who talk about their following Jesus. And what do you really mean by it? Are you trying to imitate him? Well, may I say to you, when Paul says here that Christ is the pattern of Christian living, he's not talking about imitation. He's talking here about impartation. That is, the mind of Christ should be in us, and it can only be there by the power of the Spirit of God. I've learned a long time ago that when Vernon McGee does it, it's not only not done well, but it's done wrong, always. Because my mind, and I am accused sometime of being rather strong-willed and that I have a tendency to move ahead, my wife says I do that. But you know, I do that, but I always recognize that when I've done that and I stump my toe, I then say, Lord, I'm ready now for you to take over. And it's been wonderful to see how the Lord does take over. We have returned from our Hawaiian conference, and I do not believe that I ever saw the Spirit of God move in such a wonderful way as he did, in a way that we did not even anticipate at all. And all we had to do was, I just learned to just sit back and watch the Spirit of God move. And that doesn't mean that you sit back and twiddle your thumbs. It means that you have to carry on the program that God's given you to carry on. Now, as we come to this chapter, we find in the first four verses, we're going to talk about others. Now, that's important, and I'll tell you why. Because we are coming to what is considered one of the great theological statements made in Scripture. It has to do with the person of Christ. And out of that theological statement has come one of the most controversial issues that has come down through the centuries. In fact, it is the thing that probably divided Europe. It had more to do with it than anything else. And it had to do with the person of Christ. And the theory that was promoted was the kenosis theory. That is, that Christ emptied himself of his deity. And this passage will make it clear that he didn't empty himself of his deity. Now, before we get in that controversial issue, let's notice that there is the practical side. And as we've said before, this epistle is the practical epistle. He says here, If there 
be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, this if here is not the if of condition. It's not a conditional clause that Paul has given us, but it is the if of argument, the argumentative if. You see, Paul is a logical thinker, as we said in Romans. I think it was a great Frenchman who made this statement, if you do not find Paul logical, you're not reading him aright. Well, anywhere you read Paul, he'll be logical. And Paul is argumentative. And this is a statement like that. So instead of saying, if there therefore be any consolation in Christ, there is, what Paul is really saying is, since there is consolation in Christ, because of that, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, and since there is the fellowship of the Spirit. Now, because of these, the consolation and the comfort and the fellowship, now this is what he says here, and if any, bowels and mercies. Now, bowels means tenderness. It's down, you know, internally that you and I live and move and have our being as we've indicated before. And this is not a vulgar statement, a crude statement, but actually it is true to life today. If you're listening today and you're a man, when you fell in love with your wife, where did it all take place? Up in your head? I doubt whether it did. You didn't just sit down and get some figures and even figure out whether you could support her or not. You weren't logical about that as far as the mental side is concerned. You just blurted out one night, I love you and I want you to marry me. Where'd that come from? Down internally. It's below the neck where we live and move and have our being. Very little happens upstairs, by the way. And very few of us live upstairs. Many of us haven't been in the attic of the house we live in. And many of us don't get in the attic of our mind very often either. And so here, it's a wonderful word. Since there's tenderness and mercies in Christ. Oh, these are wonderful things. Now he says, fulfill ye my joy. That is, Paul says, I'm having a good time and I'm rejoicing, though he's in prison. But he says, I'd rejoice more if I knew that the gospel was working in your life. That ye be, now notice what he says, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, you see, there'd been a little difficult, as we saw before in the Philippian church. Not much, but a little. Paul says, I want you to be of one mind. Now, he's not asking them to be carbon copies. And that is a grave danger today in the church. There are generally two groups of people in the church, and most churches. One who for the preacher knows who against the preacher. And they generally follow a sort of a carbon copy. It's not that they think for themselves, but the ones that are one mind are generally of one mind because they're carbon copy of some leader or some group. And the same thing is true regardless of which side they're on. To be of one mind here is to let the mind of Christ be in you. And that always makes for differences 
in expressions, difference in gifts, as we've seen in Corinthians, difference in services, and actually difference in certain doctrines. We can disagree today over certain doctrines. I've been criticized severely because I have been in and spoken to Roman Catholic priests, and I've been in where the nuns are, and I speak in Pentecostal churches, and people say, well, you criticize them. Sure, I disagree with them a great deal, but that doesn't mean that I have to have a carbon copy of their mind. And believe me, they ought not to have a carbon copy of mine. One's enough, and we don't need carbon copies about. And so Paul is talking here about the mind of Christ, and that will express itself in different ways. But it doesn't mean we're going to try to beat each other's brains out, because that's the way some of us fundamentalists act. Now he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Now you remember he has had that before us again. He said that there was some preaching Christ of envy and of strife. And I would say that that is probably the thing that's back of most of the differences that are not doctrinal differences. It's due to strife. Some people just naturally cause trouble. They are born for trouble. I mentioned the fact that we have such a wonderful group that went on a Hawaiian tour. They're the most wonderful people I ever met. We only had two on that tour caused any trouble whatsoever. They just didn't have the same mind, I'll tell you that. But the others did. And yet everyone was different. There were people there from the south, from the north, from the islands of the sea, from Canada. They were from everywhere. And they didn't even talk alike. But there was one mind. It was a wonderful experience. Now he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And friends, when you're doing something through strife in the church, you just well not do it. It'd be better if you didn't. And if you're doing it because you expect to be recognized, I think one of the worst things that happens today in church meetings, and one of the reasons that I don't go to very many meetings, I mean of organizations. I'm not an organizational man to begin with, but I just do not like to go to an organizational meeting where we're going to thank Miss So-and-so because she brought a bouquet of petunias. And we're going to thank Mr. So-and-so because he brought in an extra chair. My gracious alive, do why do Christians have to be recognized today and commended? And you don't dare leave anybody out, because if you do, you're absolutely in trouble. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory that you're trying to make a name for yourself. But notice this, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, I think Euodius and Syntyche that we'll get to in the fourth chapter wouldn't have had any trouble if they had done things in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, they had had some sort of misunderstanding because each felt like that she was being put down by the other, and they just didn't want to be put down. Well, let each esteem another better than themselves. You know, we'd never have any trouble on the board We'd never have any trouble in the choir if we had this policy. If one soloist said to another, 
Oh, you don't ask me to sing? Ask Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so to sing. They have so much better voice than I have. Sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's, wonder why they didn't call on me. I've got a better voice than so-and-so. And why wasn't I asked to serve on a board? Or why wasn't I asked to be put on a committee? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That would solve a great many of the problems. And I think most of the problems in the church would be solved if we adopted that. You know, somebody has said that the choir is the war department of the church. And a friend of mine says that when the Lord cast the devil out of heaven, he fell in the choir loft. And I sometimes think that's where he landed. And we can have trouble today in the church because this is not followed. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, listen to this. Look not every man on his own things. Oh, that's the danger of most of us today. I have been absolutely overwhelmed. I wasn't able to read the letter today. But I have a letter here from another broadcaster. Actually, a gift was enclosed for this broadcast. And they're on the same station I am in the state of Florida. And it said, what a blessing your broadcast is. And I said, I don't know anything about the broadcast, but I know something about that person. They're a pretty big Christian, by the way. Let each esteem other better than themselves. How wonderful that is. Doesn't that sort of get down under your skin, my friend? I'm afraid it does, this poor preacher. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, listen to this. Look not every man on his own things, <laughs> but every man also on the things of others. And the key, I believe, to this entire passage here through verse 4 is that word others others. And it's the Christian faith, my friend, that first made that word important in any language. Others. 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 Not ourselves, but others. My friend, that is the mind of Christ. Now, he's going to tell you about the mind of Christ. He says, verse 5 and we come here, the mind of Christ. What is the one thing that characterized it? Humility. Humbleness was the thing that characterized the mind of Christ. Humility. Will you notice this? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the mind of Christ that's going to be put before us. And this is the thing, by the way, that we were told to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Paul said that back in Ephesians, in the fourth chapter. And how is that? With all lowliness and meekness. And that's the mind of Christ. You and I can't be humble. We can't be meek. We're not made that way. We want to stand on our two feet and have our little say. All of us are like that. Don't say you're not, because you are. We just don't want to be offended. We don't want to be ignored. We get a hang-up if we have been brought up in life where we've been trumped on all the time. I heard the other day about a boy. He had a brother that was a brilliant fellow ahead of him, and constantly 
was thrown up to this boy, what his brother did. What his brother was, well, he went the opposite direction, rebelling against it. That became his hang-up, you see. And that's natural. That's the way the natural man. Don't go to the boy and say, now, listen, son, you just ignore that. He's not going to ignore it. A man that's not born again is not even going to get in this territory, my friend, of others, of others. Now, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? Humble, an humble mind. Now, we are going to see seven steps that our Lord took in humiliation. You have here seven steps downward, and then we have seven steps upward, exaltation of Christ. You have first then in humiliation the mind of Christ. Then we'll have the mind of God, and it is in the mind of God the Father to exalt Jesus Christ. If you want to know what you can do that will put you in the will of God. I don't know where you're to go or anything like that, but I can tell you this. My friend, it is the purpose of God to exalt Jesus Christ. And I think that's the will of God for you and for me today, is to exalt him wherever we are and however we are. And so we have here the humiliation of Christ and the seven steps down that he took. And this is... a tremendous step that we're going to see him take. Now, I'm going to just get to the first one, and I won't be able to deal with that. It says here, "...who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God." Now, that is, I must confess, a rather stilted translation. And I think I can put that in some good old Americana. What he actually is saying here is just simply this, is that when he was there at the right hand of God the Father, and he was God, he didn't come down reluctantly. He wasn't afraid he'd lose that position. He hadn't gone to school to become God. He wasn't advanced from another position. He was God, and there's no danger of him losing that position. When he left heaven's glory, he did it with delight. There was nothing that caused him to hold back at all. He came with great joy to this earth. Now, we'll have to leave off there, but we're going to take those seven steps downward next time. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Now, in just a moment, Dr. McGee has one final thought about how to live for Jesus. But first, if we can help you find a Bible study resource to deepen your study of God's Word, visit us at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's ttb.org or 1-800-65-BIBLE. Here's Dr. McGee to close our study. As you leave the bus today, you recognize now that we have come to the epistle of Christian living which reveals the life that a Christian should be living before the world. In other words, this epistle gets right down where the rubber meets the road. And Paul's going to tell us, either put up or shut up. 
And as you leave the bus today, I'd like to pass this on to you, and it's an inscription that is in the Cathedral of Lubeck, and it's rather heart-searching. Will you listen to it for just a moment before you leave us? Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. Ye call me Master, and obey me not. Ye call me Light, and see me not. Ye call me Way, and walk me not. Ye call me Life, and desire me not. Ye call me Wise, and follow me not. Ye call me Fair, and love me not. Ye call me Rich, and ask me not. Ye call me Eternal, and seek me not. Ye call me Gracious, and trust me not. Ye call me Noble, and serve me not. Ye call me Mighty, and honor me not. Ye call me Just, and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Jesus came home, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?